that you've got to stop and ask yourself, like, what kind of impossible challenges aren't you going after? What would you go after if you could be 500% more productive, if you could cut learning times in half or 600% more creative? Those are real questions. Those are scientifically accurate questions. Top leaders, meaningful conversation, actionable advice, bulldoze complacency, ignite inspiration, create impact, Produced by the Southwestern family of companies. This is the Action Catalyst. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. On this episode, guest host Stephanie Moss speaks with Stephen Kotler, the New York Times best-selling author of books like The Art of Impossible, Abundance, and Stealing Fire, as well as an expert in the neuroscience of flow states and the executive director of the Flow Research Collective. Kotler's work often deals with the intersection of science and culture and make frequent and extended use of academic work, particularly in the areas of neuroscience, evolutionary theory, and psychology. His latest book, Nar Country, which tackles the topic of aging, is out now. So, hey. How are you? I'm doing well. Okay, so I have to ask. This is just totally random. It's got nothing to do with anything. So, on your chair, is that a blanket? It is a blanket. Is it to protect the chair? or yes, so that you literally, have a... It's literally to protect the chair. It's okay, so bad. I'm super cold-natured. So, like, I have a heater on, I have blankets Oh, no, I've got, nearby, I've got, I've got a got... heater, i got blankets nearby, and I will wrap this blanket around my lower leg. That's what um, I'm wondering. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Yep. Um, but, no, it's mainly because my dog, uh, well, the dog who's in the, in the office with me is 120 pounds. He's very big. His claws are significant. And he will at least once a day come over and like try to paw me. And he destroyed the previous desk chair. So I've learned. There you go. So it's multi-purpose. The whole point though is to take the blanket off when I have to do the podcasts and like the the famous guy <laughs> stuff. So I, I, I look official and important. Okay. Well, so do you want to actually dive into some things that might be... What a, I'll go wherever you guys want to go. Rock it. Okay. One of the things I think is worth noting is in your group of advisors, you have 14 advisors on your website. 11 of the 14 are doctors. And a lot of what you focus on is not just these concepts and the research that you've done to prove them, put them into action, hone them, whatever, is they are backed by this idea of science, medicine. Okay. So at the heart of most of my career, uh, as a, first as a journalist, then as an author writing books about these topics, then as a neuroscientist leading an uh, international team of researchers into these topics, the progression has been focused on peak human performance. And by peak human performance, I only mean getting our biology to work for us rather than against us. That's all the definition of peak performance is. It's getting our biology to work for us rather than against us. And at the heart of that biology, at the heart of my work, is a state of consciousness known to researchers as flow. You may call it runner's high or being in the zone. Or you play basketball as being unconscious. If you're a jazz musician, you're in the pocket. The lingo is endless. Flow is technically defined as an optimal state of consciousness, a state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best. More specifically, it refers to any of those moments that we're all familiar with, rapt attention, total absorption, just gets so focused the task at hand, so focused on what you're doing that everything else just starts to melt away and disappear. 
sense of self, self-consciousness, the inner critic, your voice in your head that's always on, is always telling you you're too fat, too dumb, too ugly, right? It shuts up finally, thank God. Time passes strangely. Most commonly, just get so sucked into what you're doing that five hours go by in like five minutes. Occasionally, sometimes in flow, it'll slow down. You're going to freeze from that. Uh, and throughout all aspects of performance, both mental and physical, go through the roof. So at the Flow Research Collective, what we do is we study... And I'll talk about why, and this is the answer to like the science question, the neurobiology of peak human performance. So what's going on in the brain and the body when people are performing at their very best? And flow is a big part of that equation. So the reason there's so many sort of neuroscientists on my board and, and that sort of stuff, and the reason we do all this work is the psychology of flow, which was very well established over the course of the 20th century. By the end of the 20th century, they were starting to train people using the psychology and the problem with training from psychology is psychology is very, very individual, right? It's shaped by nurture, it's shaped by nature, and, and really fundamental things to peak performance, like where are you on the introversion, extroversion scale? Meaning like if you're super introverted, I can't teach you anything if there are other people around because you're handicapped, right? Those kinds of things. Where, how, What are your risk tolerances like? And what are they like in different situations, right? People have one level of physical to risk tolerance, another level of emotional risk tolerance, or sexual or intellectual, or take your pick, right? Those are very individual. Psychology is very individual. But if you go one level down, you go to the neurobiology. Neurobiology is shaped by evolution and it's constant in all humans. So if you're looking to make things reliable and repeatable, neurobiology is your tool. I got very lucky in my career. I started as a journalist and I was interested in was interested in big performance. And I was also interested in neuroscience. It was a language I sort of spoke and I had problems with the psychology. I always felt like when I was trying to just improve myself as a writer, as an athlete, as a whatever, I was getting so confused and there'd be these, these nitpicking arguments over crazy little details. And I'm like, none of this is practical. I don't know what to do with this. And when I got into the neurobiology and figured out you could train from it, it really worked. And we, you know, at the Flow Research Collective, teamed up with folks at Stanford and USC and UCLA and et cetera, et cetera. And we studied the neurobiology of this stuff. And then we used it to train people in 130 countries. We train tens of thousands of people every month. And it, this is everything from like just individuals, right? Soccer moms and, 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 and soccer dads and insurance brokers and, you know, podcasters who take your pick all the way to professional athletes, members of special forces and then companies or with like Facebook or Accenture or Audi and blah, blah, blah. The point I'm trying to make is wildly diverse group of people. It's an intense training. You go through with it like a PhD psychologist as a coach. We see a 70-80% increase in flow on the back end. And the, the reason I'm telling you all this stuff is the reason you see so many doctors, the reason the neurobiology matters so much is we want this liable and repeatable for anyone, anywhere. That's the benefit of all the science. And we're also really big fans at the collective of, of what I like to call cognitive literacy. If you're interested in big performance, understand what's going on in your brain and your body when you're actually performing at your best. You're just, I'm just arming you with information, right? Like it's really important to us. And you can actually, it's also fun to teach people neuroscience because most people think neuroscience is this incredibly difficult thing that they're never going to be able to learn and it's scary and all that stuff. And so it's very empowering to people, not only like when you start, you know, hey, this is how your brain works, and people start getting it. Using neuroscience, this thing that they didn't think they could learn to actually massively improve their performance on a day-to-day -day basis. That's a very sort of empowering to watch people go, oh my God, I can learn something like this and I can use it and I can, you know, impact my day-to-day -day life. It's cool. 
when I came into flow science, my goal was to put it on a hard science footing. This is what I wanted to do with my life. Because I came in as a journalist, I didn't specialize. When I first started looking at the puzzle and people were having trouble solving it, I was like, that's because the answers are in all these different disciplines. And scientists don't talk to one another. They're like everybody else. They're balkanized in their disciplines. And people don't actually realize how like even neuroscience, how balkanized it is. And they're like tiny micro disciplines and they don't talk to each other. They talk to journalists who talk to everybody or, you know, now in our approach, we take a very multidisciplinary approach to neuroscience for this very reason, because I want people from all these different disciplines. So people who don't think like me, people who have wildly outside perspectives who can, you know, come hammer on my ideas and our ideas and our research and all that stuff. So long answer. You commented on something in there I think is super true. You mentioned the idea of this biology, neuroscience. You know, some people just have fears around it. I think a lot of it's intimidation. You know, it just seems so foreign. It's almost like it's its own language. So specifically, when you talk about, hey, getting our biology to work for us, not against us, can you put some legs under that table for me? Let me give you a bunch of really simple examples. So... Flow states have triggers, preconditions that lead to more flow. You want more flow in your life? Triggers are your toolkit. There are 26 known triggers. There are probably way more. That's just what we've discovered so far. They all have one thing in common. Flow can only show up when all of our attention is in the right here, the right now, on the task at hand. That's what all the triggers do. They work a bunch of different ways neurobiologically, but they drive our attention into the now, into the task at hand. So, this tells you that one of the first triggers, the most obvious trigger, is complete concentration. So when we train this, some of how we teach people about complete concentration is manicuring the environment. Part of our biology is that we have a salience detection system. When novelty shows up in the world, we notice it, right? This kept us alive. The problem is we have cell phones that are literally designed to abuse this, right? They've been built designed to resemble slot machines and how they try to get your attention. They use novelty to try to get your attention. We are not more powerful than, this is a hardwired biology, we're not going to win that fight. So we teach people to practice distraction management, turn everything off ahead of time, right? Manicure the space because you're not, your biology is going to win. You're not going to win this war. You literally are not going to win this war. How long should you completely concentrate on the task at hand is another question, right? And there's an actual precise answer to this. You got to start by starting, right? If you can get 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, it's fine. And let me emphasize something here. When we talk about flow as peak performance, one of the things that goes through the roof is productivity. And we know this. So McKinsey, giant business consultancy, went around the globe. They spent 10 years trying to figure out how much more productive executives are in flow than out of flow. On average, it was 500% more productive. So this means you can go to work on Monday, speak Monday in a flow state, take Tuesday through Friday off, and you get as much done as your steady state peers. Two days a week in flow, full days, which is difficult, but you're a thousand percent more productive than the competition. Huge boosts in productivity. Okay. So you will get time back for your life by manicuring a space for complete concentration. I'm asking you for time. We're all busy, right? Everybody is busy. You're going to end up being so productive in this time that you'll end up with getting time back. But Research shows that you want 90 minutes to 110 minutes for complete concentration. Why 90 to 110 minutes? Well, it turns out, as I said, you want to start by starting. You get 10 if you can get 20, but the brain has a built-in focusing slot that's 90 to 110 minutes long. Well, that's weird. No, it's not. Why? Because we know we go through sleep cycles. 
Sleeping cycles, they're 90 to 110 minutes long. That's a REM cycle. That's a full sleep cycle. Just like we have a sleep cycle, we have a focus wake alert cycle. It's the same length. So it turns out that as you train yourself to kind of focus and be alert, it's very easy to build up to this 920 minutes. You have to, to get longer. There's all kinds of stuff you have to kind of sort of do to extend beyond that. But to learn how to focus that long, it's sort of built in. So these are just simple flow examples of getting our biology to work for us rather than against us. Another one is you want to start your work session, your complete concentration session in accordance with your circadian rhythms. This is a no duh for most people, but like I wake up at four o'clock in the morning. That's when my brain does its best work. I'm married to a night owl. We're all a little bit different. And if you can, if your job permits it, you want to start your work session in accordance with your circadian rhythms, practicing distraction management on the front end and with this 99 minute slot. Fantastic examples and super relevant, which brings me to another thought. And I think based on your tenure in this industry, it seems like, please correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like in the beginning, there was so much of this studied around, especially athletes, you know, really getting them to get to the next level. And then I would say over the last 30 years, maybe? It was athletes and it was artists. And in the fault lies with both myself and, and me, Chicksepmihai. We're probably the two great popularizers of flow ideas. And Mike, Chicksepmihai started out, he's an, he was studying rock climbers in his initial study group and, he, and dancers and artists. And so that got into the literature. And then I made it worse because I wrote a on about athletes and flow and when we heard about it the most it was also like jimmy johnson in the 90s co-opted chick semi-high's idea to bring the dallas cowboys a couple of super bowl victories and got a lot of attention a couple other things happened in sports so like it got the attention but you're absolutely right in fact if you go back to the early research on flow early research who gets the most flow in the early research there were two things that showed up one most common flow state on earth is reading period so reading is the most common flow state on earth and let me give let me take it a second one because this is even crazier is it going to the bathroom it, no it, but a good <laughs> flow example people say like i meet people on you know at airports they're like oh yeah i'm the executive director of the flow research collective we're obviously an organization of plumbers <laughs> <laughs> so okay bad joke aside the second most common flow state on earth and this is early research i don't know if it's still true so there's two versions of flow. There's individual flow, me in a flow state, you in a flow state, or this group flow. It's a shared collective version of flow state. It could be interpersonal flow, two people lost in a great conversation, group flow, team flow, fourth quarter comeback in basketball or football, or a great rock concert, the band just totally comes together, or communitas. This is flow at scale. It's huge. When you go to a rock concert and everybody merges with the music and you're all clapping and sync and all that's communitas, right? It's flow at scale. So the most common besides reading is interpersonal flow to middle managers in an office environment, having a conversation at work. They get so sucked into the conversation that a couple hours go by. So neither of those examples, as you can imagine, involve artists or athletes. And it was so hard until we got a language around, until we got all the neurobiology, until all this stuff came up. You know, it was flow a mystical experience was, I mean, that was the first question I looked at in my very first book on flow. I was talking to surfers and they kept saying, yeah, every time I'm in a tube, I become one with the ocean. I just one with the ocean, which like 
that just sounds like a wild ass mystical experience. And today we can talk about these things out loud. Go back to the 80s and 90s and try talking about like among serious people, right? You're just going to get laughed out of the room. But Dr. Andrew Newberg, my first mentor, had just done the very first brain imaging to image Tibetan Buddhists and Franciscan nuns during ecstatic meditation when they felt the nuns would feel one with Jesus's love and the Buddhists were one with the universe. And I called him because I saw his research. I read his research and I was like, dude, am I, what we're seeing with the surfers in this like state that I think we're calling flow, is that the same thing that's going on? And he, to his amazing credit, said, well, I don't know, but it sure sounds similar. So let's find out together. And that was my sort of gateway. It wasn't just that I was curious about this and I was working on this stuff. It was that one of the best neuroscientists in the world said, I don't know, but that's a good question and let, I'll, I'll help you figure it out. And so that was sort of how all this started. But it was really, in the beginning, it was really complicated to try to, are we looking at mystical experiences? Are we looking at biological experiences? Are they psychological? Like what's going on? Not, all these stuff were questions that were, have been answered over the past 30 years. But 30 years ago when I got started, we didn't have a clue. As scientists, we spent the 90s, the whole community of people, we had to prove that spiritual experiences were good for people before anybody would take this seriously. So there's all these studies that go back to the 90s that, that discovered religious affiliation produces health and longevity. And you know now we know why and where that comes from and everything else. But literally, like there's tons of studies where you had to, in the 90s, you act, before anybody's science would take it seriously, you had to prove that like spirituality, mysticism, and human flow was good for people before any of you even take it seriously. So it's been a long, slow kind of process. But I think what is so great though, yes, but your process to it and the way you've done your research legitimizes it. And I think that's where you get this buy-in. I mean, one, I think human curiosity, people start looking for it. Yeah. It was also really important to me. You can't do peak performance without flow. You cannot like, yeah. so if you're at the top of your field, I don't care what your field is. If you're top 30%, for example, you're doing this stuff. Like I've spent my career around the quote unquote, the most exceptional and extraordinary people who've done the impossible, right? That was my focus as a journalist is those moments in time when impossible came possible. How did it happen? Flow was always part of the equation. So I bet all these people have done the extraordinary. None of them, not any of them started out extraordinary. Started out like you and me, they're average people. What they figured out is how their biology worked and they did it over and over and over and over again. And I will across the boards, across the boards, this is true with every everybody I've met. And I, I say that I went out of my way for three and a half decades to meet the most extraordinary people on the planet. It was my job. And so I did it for a living for a really long time. Who are you? What did you do? How did you do it? I started to realize, I was like, well, wait a minute. These people are just like us. So I want I, I want flow. I want to bring it into the mainstream. I want everybody to have access to this because a world where we're all performing at our best. The other thing, the other side of this is when we're in flow, the state automatically expands empathy and environmental awareness. We could talk about why that happens if you want. But mm -hmm. so do I really care if insurance broker number 99 or salesman or saleswoman number 237 is really better at their job, not a ton, but do I really think the world is a better place if they're more empathetic and wise and environmentally aware? Yes. So like my trade is like everybody wants flow. You can have it. I want a more empathetic, environmentally aware, wise world. 
And so to me, like my desire to bring it to the mainstream is not about performance. It was more about, but the mainstream also, I'm interested in what people can do, right? Like these are just ordinary people who did extraordinary things in their life over and over and over because they understood how flow worked and how to get into this state and how to utilize the property and some of the other components of peak performance. So I'm always interested in that. When I meet people, I'm always like, okay, well, what's possible in your life? What could you, what might you be able to do? So flow makes us 500% more productive. It doubles learning rates. So soldiers in flow, this is studies done by the US Department of Defense, learn 240 to 500% faster than normal. Creativity, we did some of this work. They did some at Harvard, some at the University of Sydney, spikes 400 to 700%, depending on how you're measuring it. So you got to stop and ask yourself, like, what kind of impossible challenges aren't you going after? What would you go after if you could be 500% more productive, if you could cut learning times in half or 600% more creative and innovative? Those are huge numbers. I think they, that's a, those are real questions. Those are scientifically accurate questions. Like we, That's what the science of performance is possible for all of us. So those are the questions that you have to sort of start to ask yourself. And I'm thrilled to you. Are, to me, it's really exciting and fun. And so when I said I wanted to smuggle this stuff into the mainstream, I want empathy. I want environmental awareness. I want wisdom. But I also want to see what everybody can do with this stuff. I'm really tired of meeting people who are dead before they're dead. It really bugs me. I always tell people, like, look, aging is sort of a fact of life. Old is a mindset. And for biological reasons, that mindset sets up in our 20s. And it has a massive impact on performance, on our ability to access flow, on all this stuff. And so anything that I can do to explode those ideas and make us and make people understand how much more they're actually capable of, to me, that's good. That's fun. I like that. Yeah. Do you mind? I want to give you my dad's uh, phone number. Would you give him a call and talk to him about this? Age is a mindset. Guess what he's getting for Christmas? Your book. Good. Good. <laughs> I just want to comment on one thing. There is something I think that is so human to what you just said, because I, I heard in the beginning some of your journey of how and why and this and that, but it's such an incredibly lovely side to you. Yes, you do want to see what people are capable of, but I want to see more empathy and environmental awareness to me. And I think to a lot of us, that's your why. And that's lovely. Well, that's, I, animals have always been my why. But my wife and I run a dog sanctuary to hospice care for dogs now for 20 years. But you obviously care about humans too. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty introverted and I'm like, <laughs> I... I yeah. Dude, you make a living off trying to make people better. Yeah, I do. And I know, and I do, I do. I, I don't like people as much as people think. All right. I don't. I, I don't. I like animals much more than I like people. I'm really open about that. I find it very difficult to convince people that like ecosystems are more important than their needs, which is a lot of the job. But if I can get you into flow, the stage sort of start to do that automatically. That's easier. The sales job around environmental awareness is too hard. It's too big of a lift. I've been trying for 40 years. You should end up shouting at the rain. So I, I'm sneaky. This is the back door. But that's great. By making people better, you get your end goal. By making people better, they become better, right? Like, yes. cool. You want peak performance. That's cool. I want to see what you do with the peak performance. Because mm -hmm. if I'm just mm -hmm. training you up in flows, you can like sell more widgets in your, you know, <laughs> widget sale life. Like, okay, really? I mean, like, I'm interested in like, no, no, blow my freaking mind. When I start, th this is the other thing that's really important here. Stephanie, so when I started out my career, I was interested in neuroscience, I was interested in big performance. I started in action sports, right? And I was living in these communities. 
uh, this was during the 90s, the 90s in action sports and surfing, skiing, rock climbing, snowboarding, all of it, it's talked about as like the era of impossible, more impossible feats got accomplished, stuff that had never been done before. We didn't think it was ever going to be done than ever before. But I was in these communities. I was seeing it firsthand. Talking to them, Flo was always in the mix of like sure. how they did it, right? But it was these people. So if you know anything at all about peak performance or how do you raise a good kid, right? Forget the, yeah. how do you raise, right? What matters? Well, mom matters, nature, envir- good environment, the right schools, the right blah, all that stuff matters. And yet everybody I knew, these action sport athletes like that in the communities I was in, they came from broken homes, they had bad childhoods. They had very little money, they had very little education. There was a lot of risk taking these communities. There was a bunch of substance abuse. And normally you put those things together in a community, people die young or go to jail. They do not reinvent what's possible for the human species. And that's what I was seeing up front and in person all the time. So when I say that anybody can use flow to do the extraordinary, I'm not like talking about, I'm talking about like people who started so far. You know what I mean? People, they ever, you hear a lot about people talking about how people started second base or third base. These people were starting so far beyond hope before hope late. It was a miracle that they even got an at bat. And yet it was these people who reinvented what was possible for our species. And that was what really caught me. In fact, actually what I've discovered over time is, you know who has a really tough time with peak performance? It's not people who are really, really poor, people who don't have a lot of education or people who, you know, all that stuff. It's folks who had a really easy time in high school. If you were really popular, if you were naturally smart or naturally athletic and naturally really pretty, and high school was really easy for you and you didn't actually have to learn how to be gritty and and like all the, how to regulate your emotions and do all that stuff. Those are the people that are very hard to train in peak performance, actually. It turns out that the more you got your ass kicked earlier on, it's almost it works for you later in life a lot. Okay, now I'm going to have to have you talk to my high school senior. We literally were just having the conversation yesterday that don't worry, high school sucks. It sucks for most people. It's okay. It gets better than this. Life gets better. One other thing I wanted to tell you since you have a high school senior, because this is something nobody tells kids and nobody tells anybody it's so important. So geeky flow detail, flow states have cycles. They're not a binary. It's not in the zone, out of the zone. It's a four-stage cycle. And you got to move all the way through all four stages to get back into flow. You can't live in a flow state. There's no permanent always on flow state because of this cycle. The front end of a flow state is called struggle. It is a loading phase. You are learning. You are loading and overloading the brain with information. And here's a couple things that we don't tell our children that are really important. One, when you're in this struggle phase and this loading phase, frustration is literally built into how it works. You will get frustrated by design. You're going to, we have working memory. It holds about four concepts at once. To struggle properly, you have to overload it. You're literally going to be frustrated. And most people and most kids are taught that frustration is a sign that you're doing something wrong. Stop. This is failure. This is blah. And in peak performance, it's actually a sign that you're moving in the right direction. You're exactly where you need to be. doesn't feel any better, but literally this is how it's supposed to feel. And we don't teach that to kids. And so they get these bad feelings and they think they're doing something wrong and being kids, they're self-conscious. They're like, it starts, right? It does all that other stuff, right? So you end up with this spiral off of this negative feeling and that negative feeling is actually a positive feeling. It's a sign that you're moving in the right direction because it helps us reframe frustration. And it turns out the more we struggle, the more frustrated we are, 
the better chance we actually have of solving the problem in the end and learning the thing we're trying to learn. So the more frustrated, the better. I, what I like to tell people is like, take it to the point that your head's about to explode and then walk away. And just know that that feeling of my head's going to explode, I feel like a failure. And it's actually a sign that you're doing exactly what you want to do. Okay. I know you really are trying hard to fight this. You're pretty much a humanitarian. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> did you just tell me to shut up? I'm sorry. Did, that, I, did I say that out loud? Did that happen? Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Edit this immediately. Take it out. <laughs> Stay tuned. This conversation will continue in episode 432 of The Action Catalyst. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that The Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore action. And as always, thanks for listening.